happened was after my fourth child, I just felt this emptiness that I need to do something. I think that's what a lot of women feel once they do their eight years of, I want to be a good housewife and do my kids and do everything. And then I just personally just started to realize that I've just given, 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 and I needed to, there was just this hole, this emptiness that I needed to fill. And I remember somebody asking me, what did you want to do before all this, before the laundry, before the dishes, before any of that stuff? And I said, I wanted to be a writer. Assalamu alaikum. Hello. This is Your Truth is Calling podcast. I'm your host, Nadira Razak. I am a wife, a mother, a seeker, and a life and business coach. This podcast is about tuning in to that small, quiet voice within that urges you to really follow your soul's calling. And this podcast aims to bring you solo episodes and interviews with other special humans who have followed this calling, no matter how out of the box it may have been. We'll share stories about how God's grace is working through their lives and how they have the courage to really put one foot in front of the other and build a life that is fulfilling, meaningful, and filled with a sense of play and wonder. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. Welcome to the Your Truth is Calling podcast. I am your host, Nadira Razak, and I am so incredibly blessed and proud and honored to have Sister Rania Ahmed to join us today on this episode. Um, I am going to formally introduce her before I tell you where I met her and a little bit about what got me so interested in bringing her on as a guest on our show. So Rania is a counselor and poet who has a passion for understanding human behavior. She graduated from the Australian College of Applied Psychology in Melbourne. She has opened up her own private practice by the name of Soul Insight Counseling. Rania uses an integrated and person-centered approach entailing many modalities affirmed by the principles of Islam and our prophetic guidance. Rania is a wife and mother who has a special passion for marriage and family therapy. She hopes to help Islam via helping the family unit stay on firm ground. And she's got her website at soul-insight.com.au. Without further ado, Sister Rania, welcome. I just want to maybe tell listeners where I first came across you (laughs) so we can dive into your story and how you got to be doing the work that you're doing today. So for those of you who don't know, I started volunteering at a madrasa that my kids go to to study Arabic and Islamic studies because they go to a public school. And on Monday, Wednesday, we drive them about 30 minutes out from where I live. And the principle of that Matseb asked me if I could come and talk to some youth there because she knew I was a coach. And so I didn't know how that was going to be because I hadn't actually worked with teenagers and young people. My clients had always been, you know, adults and, you know, people who are way older than me. So this was kind of a growth opportunity for me. And I said, yes. And subhanAllah, I fell in love with these girls. They were grade five and six and grade sevens and eights. This opportunity came into my inbox. My local masjid was putting on this event for youth, I think it was for girls 15 years and older. And it was about, you know, really reclaiming their identity. And Sister Rania happened to be the speaker that night. And I had to, I bought my ticket. And I, in in like the comments section, I said, look, I am not um, 
I don't fit this age group, but I'm really interested in being there because when I help the teenagers, I find that, you know, they don't really say much or it's, it's really hard to, to get them to express. And if I could be a little fly on the wall at that event and just see if maybe it was Sister Rania's workshop, I'd get to hear what's on their heart and what's on their minds and therefore get to help them better in my volunteer role. And when I saw Sister Rania, I was like, I, I feel like this workshop was for me. <laughs> there were things that she, you know, said there and expressed there that I had never heard of growing up um, in Sri Lanka. I went to an Islamic school and my parents, I come from a mixed background. So my dad born Muslim, my mom's born Catholic. So I was sent to an Islamic school, but it was, I, I had never heard of the kind of ways that Sister Rania was kind of showing us how to really embrace our identity. I'd never seen that before. So I went up to her at the end of the workshop and I said, I so want to interview you. Is it okay if I reached out? I also had the pleasure of having a session with her because some of the stuff that was shared did bring up some stuff for me. And that's why I want this episode to be just real and raw because Sister Rania does something like we're pushing boundaries here as women, as Muslim women. I'm like, you know, brown, Southeast Asian, like Sri Lankan born. And Sister Rani, you'll have to chime in. I didn't even ask you. I know you keep saying that you're Arab, but I don't know exactly where. I'm, you're I'm from. actually um, Egyptian. Egyptian. And a very Turkish background as okay. well. Okay, beautiful. So. Yeah. So, and I loved her sense of humor. Um, I'd also looked her up, you know, on YouTube before I went to the talk. And I was like, oh my God, her poetry is out of this world. It's a, like, I feel like you really get people captivated and you get us leaning in, thinking about the subject matter. So I just want to, yeah, welcome you and just to have fun, just like looking at your creative life, you know, what your clients have taught you, all of it, all of it. We're here for all of it, Serenia. I'm so. very honored to be here. It is a pleasure <laughs> to be in a woman-led podcast, a Muslim-led <laughs> podcast. Yes. It's uh, something, it's a site for sore eyes. So I do congratulate you for doing stuff like this. I think just the the topics that women need to speak about are not out there, unfortunately. And just to create that safe space for us to discuss issues that affect us, I think it's it's a great idea. So yeah. thank you. Uh, thanks, Serenia. Um, I have to get over like calling you Sister Rania and just call you Rania. I think anytime I see, you know, meet someone in a mosque setting or somewhere <laughs> that's mildly religious, I put the sister prefix in front and it's really hard for me to get out of that. So I'm going to call you Rania for now on. <laughs> so Rania, like tell us a little bit about your story of coming to Australia. I think it was, you were six years old and was it six? 11. 11. Okay. Sorry. 11 years old. And I'd heard you talk about this in an interview somewhere. And just maybe tell us a little bit about this. So we get this background of who were you as a young adult coming into Australia is a migrant. It's an interesting story. We migrated um, 1991. It was the year of the recession, the 1991 recession. My dad had come here to um, get a job in Melbourne University as an agricultural scientist. Mm -hmm. And the person who gave him a job when we came here with all the family, that person had lost his job because of the recession and so um, it was a matter of do we stay or do we go? And we decided to stay. And it was just the transition 
of having to migrate and get used to a new culture and while still keeping the your identity so everything that we were taught or I was taught pre being 11 years old was completely opposite here so all the wrong was right all the right was wrong and it was just hard to maneuver myself as a child seeing everything that was supposed to be wrong it's all good here right? All good, you know. The language also, even though I did, you know, I, I did go to private schools in Egypt, so I did learn my English ABC before I learned my Alif Bata, um, but it was just the use of the language wasn't common, so it took me a while to actually, you know, get used to the language and, the, of course, the Aussie slang, so that was another issue. So... <laughs> Man, so yeah, no, it was it was an interesting phase, but I think it it really helped me challenge my identity. Who am I really? And and really question why are we doing this? Why do we need to do this? Why is this wrong? And I've always been extremely inquisitive. And my dad had never really shunned me in terms of questioning, on the contrary there was always this open convo where, you know, it's important that you understand and that you are a smart Muslim, not just a follower. That's amazing. And we're in, in your family tree, like are you, were you the youngest coming in? I'm the eldest. Eldest. Okay. So you ha- how many siblings have, did you I have? I have three younger brothers. Okay. So also, also the only girl <laughs> in the family. So <laughs> you kind of set, set the standard. What was it like? Because when I looked up your the poetry side and how you know how you got into poetry, there was an event that came up from like 2017 where they said Radia, you know, started writing poetry when she was a young teenager. So was this your way? Was poetry a way that you were trying to make sense of the right and the wrong and the who who am I? Yeah, definitely, poetry was a healing gate for me to um, to adapt mm-hmm. in the migration process. And so. was that something you just kind of did very privately in a journal, not something that you obviously did publicly, not like you performed in school or anything? It was just a private... Actually, I, I did get into poetry competitions. So At that was, young age, like as a teenager. Yeah, no, it wasn't a performance. 14, yeah. It wasn't a performance. It was, it was, you know, would you like to enter the poetry competition? And at the time I was writing poetry. So I thought, you know, we'll just, and I won. So <sighs> the teacher was very um, intrigued as to the way I write. Um, at the time, the only way to hold on to, one of the ways to hold on to my identity was to keep reading Arabic books. And so I read the poet, the Arabic poetry. I read all my comic books in Arabic in and stuff Arabic, like that. I, I held on to that, but I didn't have the language to write in Arabic poetry. So my poetry in English became a little bit Arabicized. So- yes, I liked like, yeah, the cadence in which you speak and yeah. the way it comes out. It's just unique to you. It's like that's your poetic license to do it Rania style. Like it just lands because it's not like anybody else's. You know, this is this is just really true to you. And so you've developed a style that's come from this interesting background that you've had. 
And then did you, um, there was a piece about you getting into, was it like a Footscray Writers Club or something like that? So was that kind of your foray into, oh, I want to start taking this seriously or tell me a bit about that? So what happened was after my fourth child, I just felt this emptiness that I need to do something. I think that's what a lot of women feel once they do their eight years of, I want to be a good housewife and do my kids and do everything. And then I just personally just started to realize that I've just given, 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 and I needed to, there was just this hole, this emptiness that I needed to fill. And I remember somebody asking me, what did you want to do before all this, before the laundry, before the dishes, before any of that stuff? And I said, I wanted to be a writer. Subhanallah. Was this like a counsellor asking you? Was it a friend at a coffee? Do you remember who it was? An actual counsellor friend of mine, actually. Wow. And she said, what did you want to do? And I said, I wanted to be a writer. And she goes, so why didn't you? I said, I remember me put after I finished year 12 and I did my physics and I did my chemistry and I did what was I meant to what I was meant to do and I actually wrote journalism and writing and all that stuff then I remember my dad going over it with liquid paper going this is a hobby not a career oh my goodness <laughs> writing, that was- not a career and I had pharmacy and I had everything else you know, it was a good Arab dad wanting Arab daughter dad. to have a stable. Yeah, you needed to have sure. a life. You needed to get into science because that's just what we do. The Egyptians are all doctors and engineers. Otherwise, there are nobody. So now we have a country full of doctors and engineers and we have nobody else. So you'll find this, this building. Every second window is a doctor and they earn nothing because there are too many doctors <laughs> in the country. <laughs> And, and so, yeah, I was just going to join them. Alhamdulillah, I didn't. I did x-rays for about 15 years, and that's when I decided to change and do counselling. But after that fourth child, that's when I decided I want to go back to writing, but seriously. And this counsellor friend of mine, she gave me a name. Her name was Alia Gabres. And she was um, in charge of the writing, the the West Writers um, uh, group in the Footscray Art Centre. She's a renowned poet. Yes, she was your mentor, isn't it? I saw her name come up as a mentor. I was like, why do I know that name? She's in the US now doing great things. Amazing lady. And, yeah, and so she helped me get my foot in the door, and that's how I got all the connections and networking with poetry, and that's how I got known. I love that you said that it just took one friend, right? One counselor friend to ask you an open-ended question, a question that you had never had access to, never asked yourself. But obviously, like, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought you to that point where this happens. It gets you to think or, you know, and, and that you were able to access in that moment that I want to be a writer. It just rolled off your tongue. It wasn't like you had to think too deeply about it. And then there was this other memory of actually putting journalism and the creative arts on the top, but it got crossed out. Yeah. I just love that. It's it's so, I think your story, like it shows that like, obviously I don't think you're the only one who's gone through that. I feel like Southeast Asian parents and children have gone through the same thing. And then there comes a point in midlife where you go like, what am I doing this for? Like once you're comfortable and, and I mean, we're also looking at like we have that privilege to be able to choose. And I know that some families 
might not have that privilege. And the fact that we're on this podcast, having this conversation, we're already assuming a lens of privilege that, you know, our needs are met. So now we can look at this creative side, this void that we're feeling and going, what else can I offer? Like, what, what do I need to come alive? Cause I've given and done, you know, done the sacrificial piece and service. <laughs> uh, I became the sacrificial lamb and, and now it's time for me. I love that when we were at that talk, you had this, this one line that you said about, you know, Arab women, like we're supposed to be happy, happy. And no, sometimes I'm frustrated because my kids are teenagers and they know how to work their way around the kitchen and they can make themselves pasta at two in the morning. And when I left the kitchen, the sink was clean. And when I got there in the morning, there's dishes in the sink. I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody will relate to that. <laughs> well, my kids aren't at that age yet. So I just get the, the kids who don't take their stuff to the dishwasher or don't put it in the sink <laughs> for me to wash. The idea wasn't so much the dishwasher or the sink. The idea was to be comfortable with being human. It's still, until now, there are a lot of women who are uncomfortable outside the mold that is put for them, which is which is to be all the time content, all the time happy, all the time in a state of patience. And that's all very good as long as you can do it and you're not affecting your mental health by doing it. Remember that we are all humans, the Sahabiyat and the Sahaba, as well as being in service, as well as being, mashallah, tabarak rahman right? They still had their moments where they were human. Yes. And so the, the whole point of idealizing women will all to, to an extent that will get them to either give up on ever reaching their goal or blow up completely. Mm. Right. And that's what we're seeing at the moment. What we're seeing at the moment is that you've got women that have reached 40 that have just given up on God, given up on ever getting anything and just throwing the towel in and be like, I'm never going to be there. Right. And then you've got others that are just in severe depression because this idealism have got them completely given up, completely given up and, you know, self-lashing. And, you know, every time you try and tell this the, the, the women to go get help, they feel like they actually are betraying God by going to get help. Right. And so what happens is that when the depression reaches a certain stage, these women leave that way of life and apostate. I didn't even know that that was what it got to. So you see that side of the spectrum in your work. Unfortunately. And even though in Islam, there is so many ways to help yourself spiritually, to help your soul. In Islam, we've always spoken about the body and the soul, the Mm -hmm. mind and the heart intertwining. Nowadays, we're talking about them in two separate entities. And it's like if we talk about the heart, we're betraying Allah somehow. That is the, the message being across there that going through depression is not what Muslims do. Going through this is not what... These are human emotions. Yeah that are just part of our creation. We are not perfect. Perfection only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you get told, oh, your iman is weak. Yes, I know. I know my iman's weak. It's meant to be weak. It's not meant to be strong all the time. 
This is why Allah said to do astaghfirullah. Mm. When I go down, I, I, I come back up again. It's part of our nature. And so we have to stop vilifying our humanity and start forgiving ourselves and, and, and giving ourselves some self-compassion because this body, in terms of physical and spiritual, is really not yours. Mm. An entrustment from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to you, and it will go back, and you will be asked how you took, took care of it physically, spiritually, emotionally. Oh, just as you're saying that, Rania, I had this memory that came up, and it was only recently. And subhanAllah, I can attest to how much my energy just lifted in seeing this connection between I might have asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for forgiveness for maybe mistakes that I made in business or life or whatever, but I hadn't realized that, yes, I did that piece, but there was still a part of me that was holding on to that, like just resenting myself. And I recognized I had been punishing myself. I hadn't done the the self-forgiveness. I'd gone to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but I hadn't quite made that connection that when you do your turakas or go back to Allah, like it's a clean slate. It's like you never you know, never did the thing and, and having that sense of certainty and that yakin that it's it's a done deal. And when I went to, uh, it, again, it was just an intuitive hit that I needed to go see this person. And she told me the story of someone who had committed adultery and then she had turned back to Allah and she said like adultery, like, what are you talking about? And so when I heard that story, it suddenly gave me permission going, whatever I have done or what I think of as a sin or a mistake, it's not even like a Kabira big one like you know we have in the Quran or something like that but I was still it's like almost like I was attacking myself with that and as soon as I had the realization like two days later I started crying in the kitchen it's, it just hit me that I'd been punishing myself my energy went through the roof it was like I suddenly felt like this big enormous weight off my shoulders and I could start creating I could start you know connecting and doing things so it's just this whole piece of just being human and that you're allowed to fall and get up again and that's kind of the cycle we go through. I think we, as Muslims, we've been conditioned to self-lash um, and, and self, like, just, just to feel shame and guilt yes. all the time. Um, and I think that we're forgetting the stories of the man who killed 99 souls mm-hmm. and then asked for forgiveness and and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgave him. And so the, the not, not saying that that's an excuse for everyone to go killing, but um, the idea is where is the mercy in our lives? Yeah. Mercy for, for yourself, you know, for the fact that you are human, for the fact that you are allowed to make a mistake and you are allowed to repent and you're allowed to try again. This is all the concept of an nafsul lawama. Mm. The um the the nafs who keeps reminding itself of doing good all the time. Mm. You've done this. Okay, let's try again tomorrow. Let's try again tomorrow. And it's that hope that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is going to help me. It's that it's that hope. And we also got to understand that as human beings, as infants, and this is all like attachment theory now, right? Mm-hmm. As infants. Our attachment figures, our mum and dad, or our like Quran teachers, or the like the people that are very, very close to us, they are our window to dunya. They are they shape our perspective of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And so if they're not forgiving, then the infant automatically believes that Allah is not forgiving astaghfirullah. Okay, if they are cruel, up and down, not stable, then that is that shapes the perception of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in our minds. And then we have this fear, this just this fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of I've got to do this because you cannot love what you only fear. Mm, right? I love that. Yes, that's it's so a, true. It's impossible. And and it's it's the love that makes you fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being upset. It's because I love yeah. you that I, I fear, you. you know, you not being proud of me. Mm. That's I, a different kind of relationship, isn't I'm, it? So my relationship was what you were talking about, the fear base. That was what we were taught. Because that's a consciousness that existed at the time of teaching that Islam, I guess. It's always been the way. Mm. The past 100 years or 50, 60 years or so, we've been, and this is what the shuyukh have been saying, we've been saying half sentences. Mm. We haven't been saying full sentences. So pray so you don't go to hell, right? But it's actually pray so Allah can love you, so you can go to heaven, so then you don't end up being in hell. It's the, it's the half sentence. Mm. And so do this so you don't do that. It's become a transactional yeah. a relationship, not a an unconditional. It is the only unconditional love that exists. There is no other unconditional love. Human beings, despite <laughs> Romeo and Juliet and, and, and Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, all these people, are trying to convince us that there is unconditional love in dunya. There isn't. Yes. Human beings will never be able to unconditionally love one another. There'll always be a condition. Yeah. Or one of them is going to get disappointed or annoyed, frustrated. Yeah. The only unconditional love, really unconditional, that exists is between me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Right? That's it. The, yeah. the fear comes from fear of upsetting my loved one. Mm. Not, not fe- you cannot have someone who you fear and you love at the same time. You cannot be like this. Mm. Right? And so the idea is when you love someone so much, okay, you are afraid to hurt them. Yeah. It's like when Prophet Muhammad spent years instilling the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In a nation that loved alcohol, alcohol was part of life. The culture. Part yeah, of culture. life. The day that alcohol was banned, the streets were filled with wine. Because they were emptying it out. Emptying it out without a thought. Why? Love. Yes. Love. Yeah. It's, a, it's an unbreakable bond. And I remember my own journey to seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that way was in when I was like really broken and felt like I almost felt like I just couldn't do life anymore. It's like, let me just get back to Allah because I, I just can't do this. And I remember just saying one line in the prayer, like, that particular, and I just bawled my eyes out. It was like suddenly something that was hidden. It's like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed me like a little sliver of, like who he really is. And then it was like instant. It was like, 
I didn't have that relationship and suddenly there's like a lightning strike and I know guidance comes in many forms. To me, it was just a lightning strike. It was like there was a before that day and then there was an after that day and it's very clear. SubhanAllah, it, it, life is not doable mm. without Allah's presence. It, it's mm. not doable. It's very, it's just empty. Like I, I, in mental health, I, I see people suiciding. I see, and I understand to an extent why they feel that emptiness. There is an urge inside of us that wants to find God from day one we are born. We see it through our parents. We see it through our attachment figures. It is an instinct that we are born with. And subhanAllah, I remember listening to a beautiful uh, talk in Podium magazine in the conference uh, last year, and it was just the sheikh was saying, if your partner, you know, decorates your whole room with flowers, right, like red roses and whatever it is, and you come in, and what's the first impression that you get? Is that he wants to show you that he's there for you. He wants to show you, he wants you to know him. He wants to know how much he loves you. And then he compared that with the signs that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put around us. Mm. From the the animals and from the trees and from this, everything is saying to you, I want you to know me more. I want you to get to know me more, you know. And subhanAllah, it's the most romantic thing ever. And it's just amazing, subhanAllah. And, And so this is a type of relationship that we are completely ignoring and we're fearing. Mm-hmm. And so even subhanAllah, I remember one of my shuyukh, he, he said the most beautiful thing from Surah Al- of Ayat al-Kursi. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum. And he stopped on the word al-qayyum, right? And he's saying, do you know what that means? And then we were all like, what's going on? And then he said, al-qayyum is someone who spends the whole night running your affairs. And then he, he he really put it, you know, related it to us. He said, if your husband or your, um, if your, you know, if husband or fiance or whatever it is, uh, let's just say husband because, uh, you know, we'll just Islamicize it, inshallah, um, sat next to you when you are sick just to check that you are breathing for the whole night. How romantic is that? And we we're all like very romantic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes sure that everything is running right with you every night. Your breath, your cells, your your um, destiny, your this, your that. You want romance? Here it is. Subhanallah. And it's like that's why I think like we need to find our teachers. It's like you, you know, learning from Shuyuk and where, like, where are all these stories? Otherwise, if you don't go seeking you can't build on that relationship and their job is to like connect you with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Like I remember um, a lady, it was to do with like a business conversation we were having and she stopped halfway and she was Muslim and Sufi and she's like, Nadra, your heart is like really calling out for a spiritual guide. You need to find one and make this dua. And I was like, even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bringing her into my life to tell me that got me on the path. It's like, how generous can you be? Like, how would I have known, right? And so we're getting these signs and these breadcrumbs. And that's why I call it the your truth is calling because I feel like it's always constant call and response, call and response. I'm putting out, you know, breadcrumbs your way. 
like, you know, <laughs> bricks your way to try and get your attention. So you will come to me, but are you picking up the signs? Are you paying attention? Are you aware? Are you conscious? Cause it's coming through us all the time in different ways. Sometimes though, it, it is, it is hard because we live in a very loud world. Mm. It's very, very loud. So it's hard to hear the whispers. Yes. And to notice, um, the subtle things when you're living in, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, quick, 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 very robotic. It's a very robotic life, especially here in Australia. Mm. And so long time ago, the main main thing that I used to love in Ramadan is that I used to notice butterflies and like little robins because I'm fasting and I'm thinking my whole dynamic of my thought has completely changed. I'm not concentrating on the same things. I'm noticing the whispers a bit more, Mm. little subtle things, that breeze that came on my cheeks on a very hot day, you know, to cool me down, you know, Oh, wow. Was that you? Oh, that's nice. Thank you. It was that. But because we live in such a loud world, it is it is hard for a lot of people to just stop and enjoy the silence. Yes. Or to even have a moment of silence. And so, yes, it's not so much all the time that we don't want to listen, it's that we can't. Because we're distracted or just the, the way life is right now. And even with our children, it will be worse. Mm-hmm. All this constant stimulation, social media, this, that, this, you know, it's just, it's, it's harder. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think that's what the, or I believe that's what that prayer is for, that, that stop. Mm-hmm. And it's just a shh for a moment, just, just so I can refocus mm-hmm. and then come back to the viral. <laughs> yes, the circus. The <laughs> circus. And so, but, but that's not what we do. That's the whole point. But that's mm-hmm. not what we do. We're like, oh, da, 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 I got to do. It's still to... robotic, even in the prayer and constant. You know, nowadays, you're like, okay, do you want to remember where you put that thing? Go pray. You'll remember straight away. <laughs> It'll come to you. <laughs> it's sad, but it's true, though. And so, how do you? What would you say to someone who is in that state? What would be the first thing you would advise to to be able to get quiet? Like what, what's maybe some strategies you've tried or told clients to try if they've been in that spinning cycle? Baby steps. Mm. Baby steps. That's the first thing. It is hard for someone who's trying to earn money and put food on the table, especially our men. It's, it, it's, it's hard because it's just a nonstop pressure, like nonstop pressure, single mums, nonstop pressure, yes. right? Try as much as you can, even if it's three, four seconds in the salah, where you're like, you're just in the sajda, just be present. Mm. Just sajda, be present. Subhanallah, just in that grounding space where your hands are on the ground, your your knees, your feet, your forehead, you're in complete prostration and you're telling Allah you're in charge. Oh, I love that. You're in charge, charge. handing it over. Yeah, That's it. You know what I mean? Just for a couple of seconds. And then those seconds become minutes and those minutes become more, mm-hmm. you know? And then they're just, you know, and then it's just, it just becomes part of your life. The subhanAllah, the mashallah, the alhamdulillah, the Allahu Akbar, when you see things going, not going your 
your way. You know, a lot of my clients talk about meditation and breathe in and breathe out and breathe in, and, and that's beautiful, right? But we ground ourselves five times a day with the glory be to Allah 33 times, the alhamdulillah, mm. thank you Allah for this, that, this, that. And it's the whole I, the whole point of the alhamdulillah is that alhamdulillah for my children, alhamdulillah for my life, alhamdulillah for a roof over my head. But we don't do that, do we? No, it's about gratitude. It's about being grateful for what Allah has given in you so when you've, you when you have thought of, of 33 things that you are thankful for and 33 things that you can see that you believe that that shows you a lost power mm-hmm. and 33 unfortunate things around the world where you are telling yourself that Allah is bigger than that and he will make it better like the wars the famine the this the Allahu akbar Allah is more powerful and so can you imagine your whole psyche, how much it's changed until, by the mm. end of those 33 grounding moments? And that's why it's the hardest thing to do sometimes, right? People will do their salams and want to get off. And that that can feel like agony for some people to sit and do that because it is. Because you've got you've got to go to work because your your boss will tell you off for, for staying too long in Jumaa. But Allah knows that. <laughs> That's why I say baby steps and try your best. Mm-hmm. Remember, you don't need much to connect with Allah. Every hour or so you can just go, did you see what he just said? Did you see how much I'm suffering? <laughs> and, and, and look, I, I've got clients that, that have such a connection where in the middle of, like in Qiyam, they'd be like, I hope you saw that. She did this and this, and I'm not happy. <laughs> <laughs> and other wives tell me how much their husbands panic when they stay too long in the sujood. When the wives stay too long in the sujood, how come? Why? Because the wife has such a connection with the Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala that if she stays too long in the sujood and she's upset with her husband, the next day the husband falls on his head or something happens, right? <laughs> so now he's like, oh, honey, are you okay? Do you want some tea? Did I do anything wrong? <laughs> this is so funny. Is this an Arab thing or is this across all your clients who come from different cultures? It's just, it's a spiritual connection between the slave of Allah mm. and Allah. Uh, you know, it's it's a known hadith, man aada li waliyan. Whoever upsets a friend of mine. Mm, yes. Like, watch out. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> right? So when the wife has a connection, she doesn't even, and she's married to a God-fearing person. Right? She doesn't even need to talk. Mm, it's, like, it's her energy and her presence. Her energy, with- why? Because at the end of the day, both of them understand that they have a master. And if any of them go out of line. There's a master to answer to. Yes. And that's how relationships actually work, right? Sister Rania, like, I mean, you've done couples counseling and you and you like couples therapy as well because you said part of your mission is if we strengthen the family, then that's like our service to Islam. It's when we have, yeah, unstable marriages or the family structure that's not 
feeling like a safe space for people to grow up. What have you found in your, yeah, like what has stood out to you for like, I love that you shared this. This was so beautiful. It's like, okay, thank you. We can end here. (laughs) But what have you found like with couples coming to you? What is like the number one thing that causes upset? Is it just that someone is not taking care of somebody else's rights and then it starts to... from there or I I don't play the blame game Mm. I'm constantly reminding my couples that our enemy is not each other Mm. this world and feminism and all that stuff that's coming up nowadays has just made us think that we are in some kind of war right Mm. between women and and men and I'm always saying to even my non-Muslim clients, that the biggest evidence that there is a God is that men and women live on the one planet and they still have not killed each other. (laughs) (laughs) It's a very different brain, very different processing system. They understand things very, very differently. And I think it's from knowing our difference, that is when we're going to get closer, Mm -hmm. is to understand that, that this person does not hate me it's just they understand things differently. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created them this way for certain purposes. And so it's about amalgamating those two people in a way where they understand each other's strengths and weakness. Mm-hmm. And they, they accept and love each other for the strength and and with the weaknesses as well. Yes. And it's, and it's, and it's not going to be unconditional love, but at least you can overlook the flaws then because you know oh this this particular aspect of the personality is not how I imagine I'm happy with but I'm yes. happy with a lot of things other things. yes and again it's about explaining or under getting the, the the person to understand their partner's way of processing info partner's way of communicating their partner's way of conflict resolution right and why they're like that because that's what they saw at home what kind of home life and start feeling empathy towards your partner's previous life then you understand why they react like that you understand why uh, sometimes I can't you know control my temper why as a wife if the husband can't control his temper of course not not physical abuse or, or any other abuse but is to explain that maybe you know, we need a timeout now we all relax. So it's all about knowing how to communicate, knowing how to get what you want, knowing how to meet in the middle. To to ruin Islam is to ruin the family. Because mm. that's what it's based on. It's based on the yes. family unit. And so to actually attack Islam is to attack the family unit. I don't believe it's anyone's fault, but I believe that none of us have been trained. None of us have been trained to lead a family. Our definition of marriage has been distorted by so many things. Our expectations of marriage has been distorted by so many things. Our men have not seen their fathers and their Mm -hmm. grandfathers be husbands yes. so they don't know how to be husbands so it's they were never taught so so they had nobody to model exactly yeah. and so to vilify them for not learning or not knowing it's like you know even Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who doesn't need to do this 
will judge someone who's ignorant a lot different than someone who isn't, right? Yes. So to judge a man who's never been shown is cruel. Same with the woman. To judge a woman who does not have, has never felt feminine energy. Yes, the nurturing, the the softness, all of that. Because it's a tough world out there for Mm. women, right? A lot of them, their fathers have left them. They had to be the man and the woman. You cannot, you cannot judge her in that way. And so trying to understand the story, the narrative between the husband and the wife creates more empathy between them. Mm. And the shaitan is, is recognized. What he does between the two to get them to hate each other. And mm. so recognizing this is a shaitan moment. Mm. Who's winning here? <laughs> yeah, right? And this is the whole point. It's not a blame game thing. And just some strategies and techniques. Once that happens, things are a lot better. And, of course, I'm not talking about domestic violence or drug abuse or gambling or things like that, things that are actually extra hard. Mm. But a lot of things can be helped if we just understand. Mm, I love that, Anya. Maybe in closing, I would love for you to maybe share with our listeners when you decided, okay, this it's like when I listen to you, it's like you've been doing this all your life, right? But you decided, you you made a decision. It's like I'm going to become a counselor and I'm going to do, you know, these are the things I'm going to do, these are the modalities I'm learning, and so I can, you know, teach and I counsel others. Like could you leave us with words of advice or just something inspiring for them if they're thinking about making a change and they're scared or they're going, I have no idea how to get from where I am to where I want to be, even though like I might have had a vision just like you did of I want to be a writer. And that was one piece of your vision that you're, subhanAllah, you know, you've you've been featured on so ABC with your poems and like really stepped into that role of like, I'm a writer and I'm going to do that and express that part of myself. And you're also doing this in your career. And I also heard that you're a Quran teacher. So all of these facets of you, I want other women to go, you know what, if there's parts of me that have been untapped or that I'm passionate about, but I haven't had space to express it, what can you say to them? Like, how did you, yeah, words of advice or whatever is coming to you in this moment to share, inshallah. Um, I would have to say, as long as Allah is happy with what you're doing, Mm. there's no need to be scared. Oh, that's so freeing. Because we always have this conditioning thing of you can be this, but don't ever go on to that, you know, that side. But it could be a societal thing, not not anything to do with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I love that you you deferred to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there. It has to be because without Allah, mm. without, we can't do anything. We can be, we're nothing. I remember the sh- one of the shuyukh once saying, you know, came into the class and he's like, who are you? And everyone's like, oh, I'm this, I'm that, I'm this. And after about 10 minutes of people guessing the, the answer, he said, no. You are the chosen zero. Chosen zero. And we were like, what? Because you are the chosen zero. You are a zero and you're only something because you're, you've been chosen by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to be a something. Oh, I got goosebumps when you said that. So Allah, yeah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is with you and he's happy with what you're doing. Do not be scared of the box mm. that society fits you in. There are, I remember being told by, by many people 
that how come you don't fit a box by Muslims and by non-Muslims? Well, how come you don't fit a box? And I said, I never knew there was a box. (laughs) (laughs) See, I love that about, I love that feistiness in you. When I see that, it's like, go, Sarania. (laughs) It is feisty, but it it is It is hard when you feel a little like you, you know, you've been free from the matrix type of thing. You're not really attached to anything. And it's hard because when they see a Quran teacher, like, you know, you can only be a Quran teacher. And when they see a poet, oh, you must be like really all artsy fartsy and all that. I'm not, (laughs) you know, and then when they see the counselor, oh, you're very serious. And then when they see the radiographer, oh, you're very scientific. And and it's like, you know, I I remember watching this movie called Divergent (laughs) and it was, it was about like being an all rounder, you know, with, had the people into like little sections, you know, these are the lawyers, these are the empaths, these are the, this, and then the people that, that fit in all those sanctions, uh, like, oh, sorry, factions, they call them, mm. um, you know, they were targeted because they were just, they didn't fit in it. Wow. And so a lot of times I feel like that. So don't think it's going to be all easy. Rosy. To- <laughs> yeah. A lot of times culture and women, will actually bring you down quite a bit. But if you want to be something, you make istikhara and you make sure that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is happy with it, then don't look back. Just keep Mm, going. Keep going. I love that. Jazakallah khair. It's been so wonderful just sharing the space with you. Just so many gems that you shared. I cannot wait for our listeners to go reach out to you if, if they want to, whether it's for counseling or to invite you on stages to do your poetry or whatever it is, wherever this episode goes. I would love for yeah our listeners to connect with you. And I think on your website, there's also links to your socials. There's an Instagram account and all of that. So I just wanted to thank you today. And alhamdulillah. <laughs> we got to actually yeah make a time because it's we're also in like a really busy season and you know it's hajj season it's Zulhijjah, the most potent 10 days of the year and we got to do this recording at that time so even more special for us to be able to do that and connect i just wish you yeah just well and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put barakah in your time and your efforts and your may your poetry move people's hearts may the people who need couples counseling reach out to you may, you know people who 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 don't fit the boxes and don't know what to do have a way of connecting <laughs> the misfits the misfits I know the misfits exactly so a coach actually told me once she's like Nadra why don't you just start you know create a community of outliers because we're all outliers we don't fit boxes we can't be one thing <laughs> all the things that society tells us it's like I I keep probably disappointing my mentors <laughs> because they'll say I need to be this and I'm saying no I don't think that's me Whatever Sorry that is. My life, <laughs> <Sorry> my life yes. Inshallah, <laughs> amen to everything you said. Ajma'in together, ya Rabb, amen. Alhamdulillah. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. We'll be sharing show notes so you can dig into the best bits. But um, just wanted to leave you with that. You know, follow those breadcrumbs, follow the signs. And like um, Rania said, when we're in a distracted world, it's, you know, everything's really loud take those baby steps so you can get those moments of solitude and those moments of solace where you can reconnect and connect to your creator 
and then also connect to yourself so you start taking those steps towards wherever Alice Vanathala feels like we need you need to play you're chosen for this role so you know with his permission and help you can go places inshallah Amen. subhanallah is all I can say I cannot believe how much depth we were able to cover in 50 minutes can you believe it we went from Cicerania's journey, you know, when she was young, writing poetry, winning those competitions, then forgetting about the fact that she actually wanted to be a writer until a counselor friend asked her, so before the laundry and the kids, what did you want to do? And it was just, it rolled off her tongue. I wanted to be a writer. And now, subhanAllah, she's a counselor and she also really is making her mark with her poetry. You know, she's an award-winning poet. She's been featured on ABC here in Australia. You can actually dig into her poetry. I'll, I'll put some links in the show notes. But wasn't that amazing? We went from talking about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and relationship with a partner, a spouse, and how you can't really blame people if they haven't had the training, they haven't had the modeling in their lives. And once you understand where someone is coming from, you develop that empathy. And then you just put a bit of strategies through go get some coaching go get some counseling in order to fill those gaps in your communication skills and then things can get better now there are the hard stuff like sister Rania talked about maybe it's gambling or drug addiction or abuse and those are you know harder topics but if, if it's just a general problem there are ways that you can be helped and just take those steps. I, there's just so much to share. I feel like we need to maybe either have a Facebook group and share takeaways. You'll have to tell me in the DMs how you want to expand on these episodes because I feel like we go so deep and then we can literally talk about each topic in depth for another 20, 30 minutes out of everything that was shared here. So inshallah, I would love to hear how you found this episode. Please either send me a voice memo in my DMs or text me. Share in your stories if you find that, you know, there's people in your circles who would love this episode. I want this to just reach people's hearts, whoever is guided to it, whoever needs it, you know? And I, I feel like we have a responsibility to lift each other up. So if you find something that resonates and you know a friend who could use it, share it and follow the Your Truth is Calling podcast on either Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts. We're on all those platforms. Apple Podcasts allows you to write a review. So if you feel called, you can even do that. I would really appreciate that. It just helps the show get known and discovered by other listeners who might be looking for similar topics, inshallah. But I just wanted to thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of our first couple of listeners. You know, when you put something out in the world, you, you don't know how it's going to go. And until you get feedback, you know, we don't create in a vacuum. I'm not creating this for me. I feel like I'm here for the other. So when I am talking to someone, I am thinking about you because I have sessions with clients. I have assessment calls to figure out if someone's the right fit to work with me. And in those calls, I just get to know where people are at, where people are vibing. And so I am and bringing that to these conversations because I know what you're going through and so I'm asking those questions from that lens but if there is anything on your heart and you're thinking well Nada you're like you're not covering my demographic or how I think I, I want you to tell me so but you need to reach out to me in the dms or find a way of just connecting with me so that you can tell me what it is that you'd want to hear more of so I can have that in the background when I talk to our guests 
Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Nadira Razak from the Your Truth is Calling podcast, signing off. Next week, inshallah, I might be doing the story of Moses and how it relates to transitions in your life because I spoke this week on Tuesday night at PGCC for the sisters there in the prayer area and I had some requests in my DMs and people asking me if there was a recording of that event and unfortunately we don't have a recording but it kind of nudged me to possibly share some of the stories that I shared live on that day as a podcast episode maybe a solo episode I was planning on putting up the next interview but we might change things up a bit and have that solo episode before the next interview. Jazakallah khair for being here. I will see you next week on the Your Truth is Calling podcast. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.